0: Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at UpperRoom.ca I have uh, the privilege of reading two scriptures this morning. You can follow on the screen. The first one is Matthew 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. And Isaiah 55, one and two. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend your money on what's not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me. And eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. This is God's word.. Morning, church. I was uh, talking with somebody the other day and laughing about um, how, when, when Jen and I first got married, it, it was I think it was like the second Saturday. And um, I had been living in an apartment and she moved in and it was the second Saturday of being married. And for me, Saturdays are like, hey, wide open, lots of possibilities, no certainties. That's the best day possible. And so we're about, I was kind of thinking, okay, whatever's going to happen today. And she says, we've got to clean today. And she laughs at me still. She said, you sat on the edge of the bed and she's like, you slumped over like this eight year old boy looking at me saying, What? We have to clean. She's like, have you cleaned this place? Like, since you moved in, I'd only been there two months. I said, no, like, I've tidied stuff. She's like, well, we were definitely cleaning. Now, nowadays, what I would be able to say, I would have the language to be able to say to her, honey, cleaning is not life giving for me. <laughs> At that point, that, I had nothing. I just kind of slumped over. I had no good argument. But that was, that's the language I would use today. For me, and I can be honest. Okay, now some of you I know you have parts missing in your brain. Cleaning is life-giving for you. It's not for me. Uh, What's life-giving for me is, like I said, a day full of possibilities but no definite plans. Um, What's life-giving for me is cooking. I actually really like uh, after whatever worked. I love coming home and just chopping stuff, putting on some music, like just like cooking, barbecue, grill, whatever stove. Like I've and actually just only been the last couple years. I find that really life-giving. I love uh, hanging out with people that I've known for a really long time. Like, there's something kind of life giving about people who've known your story for a long time. Of course, love to play sports with my kids. I love to play sports, I love to watch sports. Like, I find that life giving. What, um, what sucks the life out of me is like, um, Detailed planning, I, I find that so draining, so difficult to do, I can't like, or if like every bit of my schedule is accounted for over the next foreseeable future, I find like, oh. Um, cleaning is not life-giving. That, that I find like, oh, I don't like that. Um, home projects, I like, but fixing things that are broken, not life-giving, because when you're done, you just got back to zero. Like, nothing's moved forward. You just had to do, like, I don't, it doesn't matter. Other people, they just like, doesn't matter what it is, fix it. So I want you to take just a couple minutes with each other and just trade stories. What's either, like, really life-giving for you or do you just find, like, <sighs> like sucks all of the lifeblood out of you? Like, just, just a couple, one or two, uh, just take a few moments to do that. All right, Okay, if you didn't get a chance to finish the conversation or you started a good one, we have a 30-minute party after the service every Sunday, so just keep that going. Um, you know, the scriptures that we have in the New Testament were translated from um, thousands of Greek manuscripts um, that are um, pretty, pretty uh, close to the time of the original writing. And so, um, you know, the, the people in the Bible spoke in, like, in, in Hebrew and Aramaic, and it was translated. And so we have a Greek translation of the Old Testament and a Greek translation of the New Testament. And one of the beautiful things about the Greek language is they say it has a very um, wide lexical range. In other words, um, it has rich language in it. So it has four different words for the word that we translate love. Um, It has two different words for the word that we translate life. And the two words are bios and zoe. And the word bios is where, you know, we get the idea of biology. Um, And so bios is like physicality, anything to do with physical life. But the Greeks had this other word for life they they called zoe, which is uh, vitality, this idea of um, what is real living. Like we say, oh, something makes me feel alive. You don't mean something makes the blood course through my veins and the heartbeat and the brain go so that physically I'm breathing. No, no, what you mean is zoe. Like something, there's things that make you feel alive. We talk about like what's life-giving for you or what's life-draining. You're not talking about bios in that conversation. You're talking about zoe. Now, what's so interesting about our culture is one of the prevailing views of our culture is that life can be explained simply by the idea of bias. In other words, it's just physical. Like what the the origins of the universe are simply physical, atoms crashing together, flotsam and jetsam, whatever it is, forming matter somehow in the great um, kind of uh, oxygen vacuum and the world came to be just by us. And that, that is what we are. And what you can see is what is the material world. The physical world, bias, we have, that is one of the prevailing views. Maybe that's a view that you have, maybe that's a view you grew up with, maybe you know people like that, that's all, and people who tend to think like that science is the thing that can explain everything in the universe would be people that say, yeah, bias is what life is about. And yet, more than ever, we have a culture that is after Zoe life, right? More than ever, do we hear people saying, well, I'm going to leave this job because I just don't find it fulfilling. I don't find it life-giving. I'm going to leave this relationship because there's no life left in it. No, they're not talking about bias. They like, I, I really want to find, you know, what I was meant to do. Hear that all the time? These are conversations we have all the time, right? Your purpose in life, all that kind of stuff. That's all Zoe conversation. And yet it's very strange that we would have all of that conversation when the dominant worldview is there's nothing more to life than bias. It's actually one of the greatest indications to me that there's far more to life than bias. One of the greatest indications for me is that there's no way the world can simply be explained by science and atoms crashing together and suddenly we were because everything about us is after Zoe life. Everything about us wants to feel alive. We're not content. Think about this. There are so many things associated with your life day in and day out that have bios benefits but for which you do them for Zoe life. Eating. If eating was only about bios, we would just eat greens and water, right? A little bit of protein, whatever here. But you don't, like, people don't go to fancy restaurants just to stay alive for for another Friday night. They go to feel alive. You don't just want bias, you eat for Zoe life. Sex is for procreation. But that's not why people have sex most of the time. In fact, we try to find a way so that we don't have procreation so that we can simply have Zoe sex, alive, to feel alive. That's what we're looking for. It's not just about the physical life. And again, if the world could be explained, it's my little side rant, if the world could be explained by evolution, why are we after something so much more in our eating and our drinking and our sleeping and what we watch, right? We don't watch shows and movies simply to gain information so that we can survive another week. (laughs) We watch them so that we can feel alive, so that we can be pulled into a field and a world of imagination. It's why we read books and novels, and some of us love science fiction or fantasy or whatever, because it pulls us into another world of imagination that somehow makes us feel alive in a different way. There's nothing wrong with that. This is life. This is real life. The Greeks had it right, that you and I, in a sense, so much of our lives are in search of what it means to feel alive, what it means to give life. But I can bet you this, in the conversations you just had when I said, you okay, talk to each other, what gives you life? Did anyone say religion? No. Right? Nobody thinks religion gives them life. In fact, many people would say, no, religion sucks the life and the fun and the joy out of everything. That's why many people in this culture are like post-religious, because it's all about rules and it's all about things. It's not about real life. And so we don't want anything to do with that anymore. Religion doesn't give life, which is why I said to you last week at Church in the Park, whenever someone says to me, are you religious, emphatically, no, because religion doesn't bring life. God, on the other hand, is an entirely different story. The beginning of the scriptures, the beginning of the story of the world, the story of you and me and our relationship to God, begins with this verse in Genesis 2 7. I want you to look at this. This It's God creating the world. He says, then the Lord Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. The breath of life, the Greek word that those who translated the Hebrew Old Testament into did not use the word bios. We think it's describing, oh, it's bios life, this is how God breathed. Yeah, God did something and created the world. He did, but that's not what the writer's actually saying. He's saying God breathed the breath of life, the breath of zoe life. In other words, God made human beings fully alive. That's the beginning of our story, is that we were made to be alive. Someone says, oh, religion or Christianity, it's all about deadness. No, let's take them to Genesis 2.7. No, the world began with God breathing the thing into you and I that we are all after. And it actually comes, the scripture saying, from the breath of God. In other words, any bit of Zoe life that we might find from food and drink and sex and movies and novels, relationships, at its heart comes from the God who is himself, life, who breathed Zoe life into human beings and say, live to the fullest. That's where it begins. And interestingly, if you continue the story, human beings, as they rejected God, as they walked away from God, as they chose not to trust God, as they moved away from him and said, we're going to do life without you, what happened? They were cut off from the source of life. And the rest of the Old Testament, you should read it, but if you want to summarize the whole thing in two ways, then neither irreligion nor religion could get you back to life. Neither irreligion or religion could get you back to life with God. And so, when Jesus, the Son of God, God himself comes into the world, it's no surprise, one of the statements he made in John 10.10 was, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. This is the heart of the Christian story. In other words, our story, if we would say, yeah, we're followers of Jesus, what are we after? We are after life. And Jesus said, you were made from from the beginning, it was the breath of God, breathed it into you, and now I have come to give it to you to the full. Because neither running away from God, nor trying to climb a ladder, or as I said last week, a stairway to heaven through religion will get you there. It comes through me. I have come to give you life to the full, because isn't that what you're all after? You don't just want a little bit. You don't just want to survive. You just don't want to just get by on Bios life. You want it to the full. And Jesus said, that's why I came. Now, if you read the story of Jesus, you know the people who were most upset with him, most trying to discredit him, most trying to say that he couldn't do what he was saying he was going to do were the religious people. <laughs> because he was disturbing their system constantly because they had had a carefully constructed system that would allow people to somehow think they could climb their way to God or somehow feel good about themselves, but it wasn't life-giving, and so Jesus went right for it. Every little miracle he did. You ever notice, like, you know that story where he healed a man on the Sabbath? He was born blind, and Jesus spit into the mud and made mud and put it on his eyes and made the guy go wash? It's kind of a weird story, because other times he just touched them and healed them. But this one, he did it on the Sabbath, and one of the things you weren't supposed to do on the Sabbath was make mud did it just to grind these religious leaders. And he made this guy walk all the way from where he was to Jerusalem in the temple to show himself. So he had to parade all the way through it. Every time someone's talking, why do you have mud in your face? Jesus made mud. Jesus made mud. Jesus made mud. And then he healed me. He was constantly trying to get at religion because it was undermining life. And he said, if I've come to bring life to the full, I'm shutting this down. Now, many people would say, oh, so Jesus is kind of like Trooper, you know, here for a good time, not a long time, so have a good time. The sun can't shine every day, right? You didn't know that was Trooper, did you? Some of you now, you know, can impress your friends on Facebook or whatever. Jesus actually was calling people to engage in spiritual practices. It's not that Jesus did away with everything, but he was saying, look, the things that you do in life are about bringing life. They're not about building your own path to God or trying to get God to love you. This is not about religion. This is about life to the full. And so even though Jesus was undermining religion in all its controlling ways, he was still inviting people to follow him in ways that we call, in a sense, the church has come to call spiritual practices, prayer, reading God's word, taking time to rest on the Sabbath, all of these things that he said, actually, they're, they're not meant to earn favor with God. They're meant to bring life. So we're actually starting a series today over the next uh, five weeks that we are going to uh, explore different practices that you and I can begin to engage in. When I say you and I, I mean, even if you're here today, and you're like, I'm not sure about this whole God thing. I'm still exploring it. Things that you can actually try to say, man, you know what? I actually really do want life. I, I do want that. And so much of my life is taken up with it. And in fact, if, if my life is like anybody else's, it seems like i got to put so much energy into it and only get in a little bit of it, and then i got to do it again, and i got to do it again. Why can't I have life to the full? And Jesus promises, I've come, that you might have life to the full. Who doesn't want that? We're going to take a, uh, some time each week to explore a different spiritual practice, something that would give you life, that would allow you to experience life to the full. They're actually, in a sense, spiritual habits. Now, I know the word habit is a bad word. But truthfully, it was Charles Duhigg who wrote the book, The Power of Habit. If you haven't read it, it's a a brilliant read. It's very simple. You can probably grab PDF summaries online of it too. But one of the assertions that he makes in the book is that scientists say that about 40% of our waking activity is unconscious (laughs) habitual activity. 40% of our day is spent doing things that we're unconscious of, we just do by habit because we've done it for so long. And much of that marks the way we're trying to fulfill the need in our lives for life. And yet, if 40% of it is unconscious, what this means is you're doing things every day, assuming, hoping that you're going to bring life for them, but you haven't stopped long enough to ask yourself, is this really working for me? Because it's habit, it's unconscious activity. And so in a sense, Jesus comes to us through his word, and what we're going to do hopefully once a week every, for the next five weeks is interrupt the habits that you and I are consciously trapped in to say, why not try something else? Or, you know, the Dr. Phil thing, right? Is that really, how's that working for you, right? How's what you're doing working for you? If you're trying to get that life, and so much of life is unconscious, habitual activity, and you say, yeah, I don't have enough of it. I want more of it. I want life to the full. Well, maybe we need to interrupt or stop or change some of the habits of our lives and engage in something new that might actually bring life to the full, that we would hold Jesus to his promise and say, I want that. Today, the one we're going to look at is probably maybe the one that is most counterintuitive, but it was hinted at for you in the scriptures that Bryden read for us, both from uh, Jesus in the section on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 and uh, in Isaiah 55, a prophet, one well, the prophet actually who had written 700 years earlier than Jesus, who was probably the one who had the most prophecies about Jesus coming. And you'll see the language that both of them use. In it, Jesus says, "Blessed are those who hunger and thirst." And remember, he was talking to people who were living hand to mouth. They were farmers, or they were carpenters, or they were uh, people who um, lived off the land in some way. And if it didn't rain, or they didn't, or the animals got sick, or whatever, they could they couldn't eat. And so it was a hand to mouth culture. And he's saying, "Blessed are those." So many of them would have been people who didn't know where their next meal was coming from, or at least the next month's meal was coming from. He says, "Blessed are those." who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the word righteousness just means the things of God, right things, God things. 700 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah says, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Come to the river. Come buy and eat. And he uses the term wine and milk, which, is, which were uh, you know, like uh, if you had money, you had wine and milk. Otherwise, you, know, you had water. So he's talking about rich food. And so he's actually, there's this this picture of saying there's such a thing as spiritual food. There's such a thing as food that isn't just about bios, it's about zoe. It's about vitality. It was an invitation to become aware of the fact that most of your life is spent on the energies of bios, and yet there is more to hunger and thirst we read that today and go, yeah, of course, there's more, but this, this would have been very new and unique language and concepts. In fact, both Isaiah and Jesus were talking to people who had to spend most of their day with bread and water. Like, how long does it take you to get a loaf of bread? Like five minutes, right? But that wasn't their case. If they wanted bread, they had to make it. They had to make flour, and then they had to bake it, and they had to wait. If they wanted meat, they had to, I know some of you don't like this, they had to kill the animal, right? And get the meat. They wanted milk. They had to hopefully have goats, cows, or go buy them from. Everything took longer. So much of their life and their hours, if they had water, they had to get wells. And you know, one of the reasons that we've tried to help people with water overseas is because so much of time is taken up with trying to get clean water. So much of life was taken up with trying to get bread and water. And Isaiah says to them, Why do you spend money? on what isn't bread, and labor, work, effort, on what doesn't satisfy. Now, they might have said to him, well, what are you talking about? Like, what do we, how are we going to live? Like, if, we don't, if we don't actually like, spend money on bread and water, we're not going to live. He says, look, you do all of that. All of your life is taken up with the pursuit of bias, and yet aren't you hungry for more? Don't you want more? Isn't there something in you that has a hunger and a thirst for something more than the stuff of life? How much more for you and I? you know, it only takes us five minutes to get a loaf of bread, but how much of your life, think about it, is pursuing the kind of fulfillment and, and satisfaction that can come from being sort of not having financial stress anymore, for, for finally establishing that business that you've been running forever where you know you can say, okay, we've arrived, or where the people who told you you'd never make it would actually have to eat crow because you did and you went more. How, how much of our lives going into trying to turn the heads of the person from, from whom we want affection whether it's a person of the opposite sex or whether it's our our parents or whether it's our children who are adults now who seem to be not interested in relationship with us anymore, how much of life goes into like trying to get a Zoe life? And Isaiah says to us, why do you spend so much time and energy on things that don't satisfy or that satisfy for a while but you need it again? Instead, he's inviting them in to a, a different kind of life. He says, listen to me, and your soul will delight in rich food. It's this idea that there's something more. There's actually something underneath all of the pursuits that you and I engage in that we long for more. But the truth is that our lives are so busy, and, and we're not people in a sense who most of us have to live off the land anymore. So so, so much of life isn't taken up with time anymore, of trying to just live hand to mouth. And yet, how many times in the last month when someone says, how are you? You said, busy, right? Guilty, right? We're so busy. So the words of Isaiah are the same to us. Why do you spend so much energy and time on things that actually don't satisfy? Because don't you still have a hungering ache for more? Don't you still have a parched soul, something that wants more? And it isn't just about physical versus spiritual. It's about physicality versus vitality. There's more that you want to say, man, this is living. This is what I was made for. In all of the busyness of life, Jesus comes to us through his word and interrupts and says, blessed are you, we all want blessing, who hunger and thirst for something more. What is the more? It is actually more of Jesus. It is more of his life in our life. It is more of his teaching, his wisdom, his purpose, his vitality. He said, I have come that they might have life to the full. Life to the full is found in me. The breath of God that in a sense breathed life into Adam and Eve at the very beginning is now here in human form the more of Jesus, the more of his life, the more of his Holy Spirit, the more of his word in our lives is actually something that we need. Because what did he say? He didn't just say, I've come that they might have life to the full. Earlier in that book, he said this, I am the bread of life. And he said to the woman at the well in John 4, I give living water. He was presenting himself, again, like I said to you last week, No person who honestly reads the scriptures would conclude anything other than Jesus was offering up himself as ultimate reality. He was not a good prophet simply pointing to God. He said, if you want God, come to me. I am he. I am bread for your life. I am water for your thirsty soul. And so the question we have is okay, how do we get more of Jesus in our lives? How, this seems, for some of us, it's like really abstract. How does that actually happen? Well, one of the ways that we actually do that is a spiritual practice that I want to offer you up today it's fasting. The spiritual practice of fasting. Now, immediately some of us think, oh, fasting like that, that's like, that uh, brings connotations like deprivation, self punishment. And, and some religious traditions, and for many years, that's, that's what fasting is, is to make yourself go without in order to kind of feel bad or somehow that God would look at you as holy because you're kind of punishing yourself. And even some in the monastic life believed in this kind of self punishment that if I was punishing myself, then God would look kindly on me. It's kind of a weird idea. <clears throat> but, they, but they believed that. And so many of us, we think the idea of fasting, and it's like, oh yeah, it's going without, or it's, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's trying to uh, make myself want less, or something like that. And, and it may have some of those values, but that's actually not why Jesus presented fasting to us. And we know this because when Jesus was walking around his disciples, the religious people who used to fast a lot were bothered by the fact that Jesus' disciples didn't fast. And so one day they said to him, hey, how come your disciples don't fast? And he said something really interesting to them. He said, they don't need to fast because I'm with them. But one day when I leave, then they'll fast. What was he saying? He's like, fasting is a way for them to get more of me in their lives. They don't need to do it now because I'm right here. But one day when I go, then they will fast. Why? So that they can have more of me present with them just as if I was here. He was re- Inventing, in a sense, the idea of what fasting was about. It's, like it's not a religious observance so that God will look kindly on you because you punished yourself or something like that. It's about trying to get more of me in your life. It's about trying to set aside the typical day to day appetites that you and I have so that something more could grow an appetite for something else. Remember, we talked about a few weeks ago, like you, you, you actually shrink an appetite by starving it, and you grow an appetite by feeding it kind of what fasting is. It's setting aside. It's trying to shrink one appetite, not so that you can um, be holy before God or something, but so that you can grow an appetite for something more. And so in that sense, fasting is voluntarily going without X something for the purpose of connecting with Jesus. we broaden it. It's not just about food and drink, but about any appetite in a sense that crowds our lives. The amount of time we spend Watching stuff, eating stuff, on our devices with other people talking about stuff, the amount of hours that that takes up in our lives truthfully crowds out our ability to see and know and experience Jesus. It's noise that's constantly there in my life and your life. Sometimes we feel powerless to it because just it's a product of this culture. I can't, I can't turn it off. I don't know how to get out of this rhythm. And fasting is one of those spiritual practices that Jesus says, try this, interrupt the habitual rhythms of your life to try to get more of me there. And so in that sense, it's this. Fasting pauses enjoyment to make room for nourishment. Get that? Fasting pauses enjoyment, the good things that God has given us. Food and drink, and sex, and watching stuff, reading stuff, interacting with other people, they're all all good things, but fasting says I'm going to pause that so that I can increase my nourishment, that I can actually get real food into me, real life, because I realize life isn't just about bias, it's about Zoe, and it's not actually about all the things that I think it is. There's something more and deeper and more profound, and I want more of Christ In my life. In that sense, it's a journey of faith. It's a journey of faith. It's pausing something, and certainly it would have been to people who lived on bread and water. And Jesus is saying, Hey, blessed are you if you hunger for something more. And Isaiah was saying, Why do you spend so much time on just the stuff of life? Hunger for more, desire more. Fasting is a step of faith to say, If I go without this meal, or if I go without This drink, or if I go without sex in my marriage for a period of time, or if I go without this show, or if I go without my phone for a period of time for this evening, I'm going to set aside, it's going to be a step of faith because I want more of Jesus in my life somehow. Because I'm going to pause this to make room for nourishment. That's how I'm going to get more of Christ in my life. Fasting is a practice that. I would say, I know for me, it's the one I engage in the least. It's the one I think about the least. It's the one I least enjoy. (laughs) It's one of those things, but it is a lost practice in my life. And even as I was teaching through it again this week, and I had just done it a little while recently when someone was um, asking for prayer, and a couple people were going to pray for them, and they said, hey, we're going to fast. I was like, okay, I should probably do that too. Like, I'm the pastor, I should fast too, right? So I just fasted for that day. And I've fasted in the past, I just skipped um, breakfast and lunch. And for the most time that I fast, I don't feel particularly holy. I just feel hungry. It, it doesn't feel like very spiritual or whatever. But it was an act of faith. I was like, God, I don't know how this works, but like, I want more of you <coughs> Excuse me. in my life. I want more of you in this person's life. So I'm just going to set that aside. But one thing I did notice is when we began to pray for that person, and, and we talked and we prayed it was a long period of time. I totally forgot about feeling hungry. Like, I, I, a couple hours passed, and after I was like, I don't even feel hungry anymore. There was something happening in that moment where I felt sharp, actually, uh, which, is, which is kind of counterintuitive because uh, for some of us, you think we, we don't eat well. You know, you need to eat because your brain's not active. Or whatever. In that moment, I felt so sharp. I felt so clear. I felt like I was able to focus and hear God's spirit and pray. I, didn't, I wasn't thinking about food. I wasn't hungry or whatever. Like, for those couple of hours, I can't explain it, but it was one of those things where it was a step of faith. It was like, God, I know this is a good thing. I want more of Christ in this person's life. I want more of you in my life, so I'm going to do this and set this aside. But one of the keys in fasting is to actually set aside something that takes up time in your life. A meal takes up some time. But, like, one of the things I've done uh, over the years, I'm going to do it again for this five weeks, is fast sports radio. Sports radio is Time. It's time I'm driving in the car to go somewhere. But like, that's time I could do with something else. And so I want to give you a a couple of things that you could potentially pause. And even if you think about this list, please do not think that if you do this, God will love you more or he won't, he'll love you less if you don't. This isn't about what you have to do, but if you're like me saying, you know what, I want more of Jesus in my life. I want more of Zoe life. I want to feel alive. I want to experience that, and the things I've been doing just aren't enough. Here's a couple of suggestions. Maybe something else comes to you. Maybe you're going to fast one day, and over the next five weeks, I want you to do this as we're going through this series, just to try it. Maybe you're going to fast a day, like skip all your meals, Or, or maybe one meal a week for those five weeks, uh, and, and it's a meal that you could, you could get time where you can actually decide to... D- and I'll tell you what you'll do with that time in a second. Um, some of you need to fast screens. Maybe you want to fast TV or internet or Netflix or social media for that five weeks or one day a week in those five weeks. If you've never done a fast start with a day or, or a, a meal time, like a period... But, but time that you can actually get it back and don't do something else with it, for now, just going to keep that. Uh, maybe for some of you, it's hobbies, sports, reading magazines, novels, blogs. Some of you, it's like recreational shopping. And some of you are like, what's recreational shopping? And others of you are like, what? <clears throat> um, for some of you, your lives are so crowded, your schedule so busy that you just need to look at some point, one of the next, in each of the next five weeks, you're going to say, you know what, we're going to pass on that. We're going to cancel. And if it's plans with me and Jen, I'm fine. We won't be offended. Say, so, you know what, VJ, we're fasting time with you. Okay, fine. You just need to stop because your rhythm and social calendar is just so busy, you just need to say, you know what, we're not going to do that. We're going to grab back that time. Others of you may even say, you're going to power down your phone because it's constantly there or you're constantly on it or you're constantly distracted, maybe on, maybe on Saturdays or maybe on Sundays or maybe one evening a week. Anything that you can do, maybe it's after 6 p.m. to try to grab back that time. That's your pause, okay, whatever it is. And then you're going to make room for this. Either reading, praying, listening, or talking. Some of you are just going to carve out that time and read through one of the Gospels. The biography of the life of Jesus. Others of you want to spend time praying. You're like, oh, I should pray for this. I should pray for myself. I should pray for my kids. I should pray for my friends. I should pray for my friends that don't know Jesus. You're just going to say, you know what? I'm going to have time to do it now. You're just going to pray for yourself and the people in your life. Others of you, you're going to pause listening to some kind of stuff, you're going to listen to worship music more. There's so many podcasts, leadership podcasts, sermon podcasts, some of the, there's no excuse for not getting good teaching. You know, even if you hate my preaching, there's great podcasts all over the world. There's no excuse for not being able to learn because it's everywhere. You need recommendations, ask me to get stuff actually into. So for some of you, you're going to use that time just to listen. And if it's a meal time, you got 20 minutes, you're going to do it. If it's a drive time, you're going to got 15 minutes. Or some of you have 45 minutes, you're going to do that. For others of you, it's going to be talking, and you're going to fast certain kinds of just ordinary conversation that you have with people and say, actually, what we're going to do is we're going to make room for spiritual conversation. We're actually going to meet together, and maybe you can do this as couples, maybe you can do this as friends, and say to each other, hey, do you want to go for coffee? Because I want to talk about what Jesus is doing in your life. So you're actually kind of pausing what would be the normal stuff of life, how's things this, then that, that. Let's just talk about Jesus. Let's talk about what's happening in your life. You may say, <coughs> I don't know where Jesus is in my life. Well, that's the beginning of a really good conversation you read the Gospels with somebody as you do that. Whatever it is, here's why you do that. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and lead us in response. Desperate people do crazy things, right? And when you have someone, you think about someone who is, who is so desperate for food or so desperate for drink or so desperate for sex or so desperate for technology, what happens when, they're, when they feed themselves too much on it? It, it becomes destructive, Right? Someone who's too desperate for food and eats too much of it and is always going to it destroys themselves and the people around them. It's, it's unhealthy. Someone who's too desperate for drink can destroy themselves and the relationships around them. Someone who's too desperate for sex and will do anything for it and wants more of it will destroy other people and themselves. Someone who's do, too desperate for technology or video games, social media, but that, you know, actually can become addicted and destroy themselves. But, but if you get desperate and do crazy things to get more of God in your life, you'll actually be a blessing to everyone else. It's the one thing we can hunger and thirst for more and more and more of that will actually bless us and bless the people around us. It will not diminish your relationships, it will actually strengthen them. So I believe we need to become more desperate for the things of God, more hungry. I know I want that. I want that. I want a life 50 years from now. You know, my dad just retired at the age of 70 and just finished his ministry. I want a life like that where I look back on and say, like, I have been hungry for and continually feeding on the bread of life and it has blessed me, and it has blessed my family, and it has blessed all kinds of people around me. I want a life like that. The more desperate we are for that, the more the world around us, if everybody in this church did that, man, the roof would come off this place. That's what's in front of us. It's so what I wanna take, and Jen's not here today, she's the conscience in our family, so I'm gonna to have to get her to listen to this message because she's gonna say, what are you gonna do about it? So I already have my answer, I already got my plan. Whatever your plan is, say, okay, God, I, I, want, I want more of you. I just want to bless you this morning. Uh, for some of you, uh, a divine spark, a holy spark, where there has been kind of blackness or deadness or nothing. We have not sensed the Zoe life of God. I want to bless you with a divine spark of something. Uh, For those of you that say it's just a little candle, it's a little flicker, there's something happening, I just want to bless you to see the hands of God coming around that flame in your heart and protecting it so that it's going to grow. And for those that would say, yeah, it's a fire, I just want to bless you with more. That this place would radiate with the breath of God that He is breathing into us. I just want you to know He is doing that for you. Kate said that over you, that this is a day He is speaking renewal and revival over your life, that you would sense the breath of God being breathed into you again. Would you receive that? Amen.